welcome to Linux Action News, our weekly take on Linux and the open source world. This is episode 7, recorded on June 25th, 2017. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe. This week, big week for Linux graphics. Multimedia on Linux got some big news, and we're going to dig into some of it. But let's start with the Ubuntu Desktop Weekly Update. This is something that's been happening on a regular basis, and there's a few juicy nuggets in here. Yeah, there are a couple of things here. The first one is that Unity 7 is going to be in 1710. Uh, at least it's going to be available as an option to install, which they are currently working on and in the daily images. So you can now get Unity 7 as well as GNOME, which is obviously the default. And that's not huge news. We kind of expected this, but it is good to see because there are a lot of people who are going to miss Unity. And it's not Unity 8, it's not the Mir stuff, it's not all the convergence stuff that we were hoping for, but it is good old trusty Unity 7, which I personally am not a huge fan of, but I know that probably listening to the show are thousands of people who are using Unity on a daily basis and are really sad to see it go and will reluctantly switch to GNOME. Well, this is going to make that transition that little bit easier, isn't it? Absolutely. So the big takeaway from this bit is you're going to be able to have both GNOME and the Unity desktop session side by side. So what they did here was they migrated Ubuntu session to GNOME, and now they've created a new Unity session. So now we have two separate sessions that will be available at the login screen if you install all the corresponding packages. And in traditional open source geek style, I am now loving Unity 7 more than ever now that they've announced they're killing it. But I want to talk about the update in here that I think is going to have a huge impact long-term on multimedia playback on the Linux desktop. They're working on hardware-accelerated video decoding and a proof-of-concept using GStreamer. Yeah, and this is going to mean potentially 4K H.264 video using only 3% of a CPU if you've got uh, Haswell or newer, which is amazing, isn't it? At the moment, if you're trying to run 4K video, it's, it uses a ton of CPU and your computer can't really do much else unless it is ridiculously fat and beefy. So that is amazing. And 4K H.265 will be available on Skylake or later. Yeah, and that's good timing for that because that's going to get more and more implementation over 2018. Yeah, this, I can't really understate this. This is huge. I, I In my benchmarking, I recently had some just unbelievably powerful Linux hardware in the studio for benchmarking. So very fresh results. I was able to get smoother, better playback on a 2013 MacBook Pro than on the most latest, totally high-end Linux workstation with Xeon CPUs, workstation-grade graphics, PCIe storage, it struggled to play back 60 frames per second, 4K, H.264 video, while the MacBook Pro 2013 could smoke through the footage because of hardware acceleration. And this is becoming a limiting factor for video editors on Linux, and so it's great to see Canonical doing this in Ubuntu because even just being able to play back the footage is a huge win. So you think that this is going to feed into video editors, potentially Caden Live and that sort of thing? I certainly hope so. They all have different ways of utilizing system codecs, but a huge part of being able to work with the footage on the Linux desktop is the fact that it just struggles to even play it back, let alone edit it. So this will fix the play it back aspect of it. So if you check the link in the show notes, you can figure out how to get it working now on your system. But the plan is to hopefully have this land in 1710. It's all proof of concept right now, but you can tell I'm watching this with some serious interest. Yeah, let's hope that it's working and completely stable in 1804, the next LTS, 
And I really hope that other distros can take this work and implement it there as well. I'm going to see if I can't retrofit my review and install this proof of concept and do an A-B difference between software-accelerated playback and hardware-accelerated. Although, I bet our audience knows it's a huge difference. Yeah. Okay, well, something that I wanted to quickly flag up was the Pharonix 2017 Linux laptop survey, which is only a few questions on uh, Google Form. But I think that it's important to have our say as a Linux community on what we want from a Linux laptop and, and what we've got now. And the information that you can give them anonymously is potentially going to help the market out. It's, it's going to prove that we want certain things and certain things are important. You know, is um, battery life more important to you or performance or build quality, that sort of thing. There's, there's loads of questions here and I'm, I've taken the survey and uh, so I think everyone should do that and, and hopefully the industry can take note of the results. So not only is this going to be useful for manufacturers creating laptops, but I'm interested in it from a Linux user's perspective. Are people going with pre-built Linux rigs, shipping with Linux, or are they still blazing their own trail and buying hardware that isn't necessarily designed for Linux but making it work? And I think this survey will suss that out as well. And then it's also asking people, like, what kind of issues do you run into these days with your trackpad? Are you trying to put these on MacBooks? They're also trying to suss out things like touchpad issues, Wi-Fi, and battery life, like Joe mentioned. But something else that caught my attention in the survey, this is the first time I've seen Solus show up on the survey. I'm really going to be interested to see what the results are that come back on that. The other thing I like about this is, first of all, Pharonix is sort of a neutral third party in this. They don't build a laptop, they don't sell any hardware, and they have a pretty solid background with open benchmarking, where some of this might be interesting to cross-connect the data of the results from the survey with the machines that have been benchmarked on open benchmark, and maybe we could kind of get a sense of the average compute power of the Linux community. At least their laptops. Yeah, yeah. So the last question is, what would you like to see in a dream Linux laptop? So I'll have to ask, what did you put for that one? I don't know if I actually answered that question because the XPS 13 and the Galago Pros out there, they're getting pretty damn close. And I, I kind of feel now with the XPS 13 in particular, they just keep revving on that. And it's pretty close to perfect within today's market realities. Okay, because I said 100% FOSS, including the BIOS. Mm. That is the dream for me. You idealist, Joe. <laughs> well, you've got a dream, haven't you? I totally agree. And I, if I was being, if I was dreaming, I would say yes. Uh, in, when I think of the ideal Linux laptop, I think of one I can actually buy in mass today. That's kind of what I think of. And there's just some compromises. Now, ask me again in five years, maybe it would be a different answer. Well, they said dream, so I dream big. What can I say? Speaking of dreams, some of those dreams got crushed when Yala failed to deliver a tablet running their alternative OS. But we have a bit of an update for those of you still waiting for your refund. And it looks like some good news for Yala down the road, too. Yeah, this was a tablet that they promised to ship by the second quarter of 2015. And the crowdfunder for it was in early 2015. And they ran out of money. They The investments that they were promised never materialized and they almost went bankrupt and so they promised to refund people's money well they refunded about half of people's money and then promised that they would give them the other half at some point well we've now had a post on their blog 
saying basically that they are still hoping to give people their refunds, but making no promises, which it just doesn't look good. It's awkward. It's really awkward. So this has been a few years in now. I mean, I remember covering this uh, back in, I mean, years ago, uh, 2015, earlier in Linux Action Show. And so now here we are in Linux Action News, and we're getting to the news of the refunds. Now, it starts, like I said, awkwardly. Because they go into how things are going good because they're making positive progress towards major business deals with Sailfish in China and Russia. Yeah, which is their business model now, licensing out Sailfish OS. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if those projects go big time, like they think they might, then they're going to start having a steady income of money. And they think once that happens, then they're going to stabilize their business over time. And once these things start to coalesce, they then plan to come up with a way of giving a cut of the revenues back towards the customers who funded them. So they say they're going to take a phased approach to refund, and they're going to execute refunds every month the company makes a positive cash flow from its core business, Sailfish OS licensing. Let's parse that for a second. They're going to execute refunds every month that the company makes positive cash flow. So not every month, but just every month that they have positive cash flow from its core business, which is Sailfish. So if they start swag or business consulting or integration services with hardware manufacturers, those separate revenue streams are not applicable to this deal. Yeah. And also they're going to give out these refunds randomly, which... right. It doesn't seem right. Maybe they should do it in the order that people pledged. If you jump straight on it, maybe you should get your refund before people who pledged after you. Now, let me play devil's advocate here. In a world where everybody wants to see a strong Android competitor and wants to see something like Sailfish OS be successful, we have to acknowledge that the company that is driving that the strongest has to be successful. And we don't want to bleed them dry with refunds because... The money that they are refunding is truly from fans who wanted to see this be successful in the long term anyway. Yeah. People who are willing to go in on an Indiegogo are doing so because they believe in the vision or the mission of the thing they're backing. In this case, Sailfish OS or Yala. You get my drift here. Like they're, In some sense, they, they can afford to trickle refund their, their biggest fans because those biggest fans have a core belief in the bigger vision. I suppose so. And ultimately, I would like to see it succeed because of all of the various mobile operating systems that I've tried, I think that Sailfish is the best. I used it for a couple of weeks when uh, Martin Wimpress, Wimpy, lent me his old Yolo phone. And I was really impressed with it. And that was a good couple of years ago. So I can only assume, I haven't actually tried it out for a while, but I can only assume that it is much better now. And it was already really good then. So I really want them to succeed. And I suppose, yeah, you don't want them to be bled dry. That is a good point that if they liquidated all their assets and just basically bankrupted themselves by paying back these backers on Indiegogo. The dream's dead. Yeah. And I suppose also you're not buying something on Indiegogo, are you? You are pledging a donation and you get a reward for that which there's no guarantee of building a tablet or anything like this on indiegogo always seems like a moonshot to me yeah i agree i mean i have a rule that i'm not going to put any money into crowdfunding that i can't afford to lose and so that's why the the gpd pocket for example 
I was really, I really wanted it and stuff, but I, I just wasn't willing to risk the money. I mean, I think they will deliver and it's looking like they are starting to deliver that, but something that's a few hundred dollars. I completely echo that. I, I completely agree. That's now my philosophy with crowdfunding too. And honestly, Joe, it was some of these crowdfundings like the one that Yala did that sort of taught us those hard lessons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, well, here's hoping that they do make some money and and be successful and, as you say, be a genuine competitor to Android. Even if it's not completely open source, well, neither is Android. And if we had something that was really good and could compete with Android, at least in a niche of the market, that would be better than just having this duopoly that we've got now. Last.ting.com. That's where you go to support the show and get $25 off a device or $25 in Ting credit if you bring a device. I've been on the Ting network for years, and one of the devices I ran was the Nexus 5, and I put Sailfish OS on there. This is what I love about Ting, is they'll give you a GSM SIM. You put that in the device you want. Now, they have supported devices that their support people know all about, and of course, that's always a great way to go for anyone that's just looking for a simple-to-use cellular plan. But me? No, I got to make things hard. I got to flash ROMs on my Nexus 5, and Sailfish OS, it rocked because Ting doesn't have an agenda. They don't, they don't block certain OSs. They don't block updates to your phone. They just give you simple mobile for $6 a line. It's your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. Whatever you use, Ting adds it up, and that's all you pay. Start by going to last.ting.com and get nationwide coverage with no contracts, no early termination fees, and you only pay for what you use. It's really how the mobile industry would do it today if they had to start all over. Last.ting.com. Go there. Also check out their blog. Great post recently. Last.ting.com. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action News. Well, let's talk about Mozilla. And firstly, Firefox Focus, their new browser for Android which was available sort of for iOS before, but we don't really care about that, or at least I don't. I know you do. Oh! (laughs) So it's a very simple little browser that is focused completely on privacy. And by the looks of things, speed as well, because I tried this out today, and that is the first thing that jumped out at me. This is the fastest browser I have ever used on Android. Really? That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So Firefox Focus allows you to browse the web, and they say, quote-unquote, without being tracked by ads. And, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned the speed. I I was really curious, Joe, like, how are they building this? Because this is Mozilla. And on iOS, they really just kind of ended up wrapping WebKit and using that. And that was like, it was essentially, it was a WebKit browser, but with the Firefox Focus take on it. I thought, okay, well, for Android, surely, surely they're using Gecko. And so I did a little digging. And I dug around, and I have a link in the show notes in the Firefox Focus source code. And it looks like at build time, they allow you to build it with either a Gecko backend or a WebKit backend. Ah. And for the version they're shipping on the Play Store, it's built with the WebKit backend. Actually, it's using Android WebView, so WebKit. Right. That explains why it's fast then. Isn't that interesting though? Mozilla is essentially shipping a WebKit browser on both mobile platforms now. Yeah, but to be fair, in this Firefox Focus, there is an option to open this page in Firefox. So if you've got the the main mm-hmm. uh, big version of Firefox as well, then you can open it in Gecko. But that is interesting that they're shipping WebKit. The thing is that it's very limited. It, it's it's incredibly fast, and it seemed to block pop-ups and stuff really, really well. But 
I found that a fair bit of JavaScript didn't work in it. And also that you've got uh, a single tab. Mm. Well, so they have a they have a they have a note in here. They say for Android users, we've also made Focus a great default browser experience since we support both custom tabs and the ability to disable ad blocking. Custom tabs, Joe. What the hell's custom tabs? It's not very clear because then they list one of the features is no tabs. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, what I didn't get that either. Yeah, it's very strange. There's a couple other standout features for the Android version versus the iOS version, which I thought maybe be worth mentioning. Uh, I like this one. There's an ad tracker counter. So just for the curious, they're going to just count a little number of the amount of ads that they've blocked per site. That could be brutal. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, which, uh, yeah, you can see some sites are just going way overboard. I mean, I have got uh, a host file anyway. I use uh, Adaway from F-Droid, and, and that updates your host file and just blocks most adverts. So with that and Firefox Focus, you basically don't see any adverts. It's brilliant. If they just added tabs to it, I'd be using it all the time, I think, as my main browser. They say here at the end of the post that uh, they're going to be adding new features that make it even better down the road, so maybe tabs is one of them. Yeah, well, I installed this to check it out for the show, thinking that, uh, well, after the show, I'll uninstall it, but this is staying on my phone, man. I completely agree. I keep it too. I think it's really nice to just have something that's totally divorced from the vendor that has nothing to do with Google or Apple, and I trust Mozilla, and I think it's even more legitimate on Android. It's kind of funny that it came to iOS first, and they, they quoted some sort of statistic where it was very well reviewed on iOS. Uh, it's good to see it coming to Android, too. Yeah, I look forward to seeing the updates for it. So something else that Mozilla is working on that might immortalize your voice. Yeah, Project Common Voice, which they say is a project to help make voice recognition open to everyone. So we all know about the various big companies with their voice recognition in their digital assistants. Well, Mozilla is at least attempting here to make something that is open source that can be used by various projects, maybe even Mycroft, you never know. And they're basically crowdsourcing the, the voice input for that because the, the thing that you need with any voice recognition system is a ton of data to work with. And they give you a really simple walkthrough sentence you can read and then upload to their uh, servers. I'm probably using WebRTC. I didn't try it, but I did play some of their samples. And it's, it's a neat idea. I'm sure Popey's over there submitting tons of different voices. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. I read the three sentences that it wanted and also listened to five and you can validate them. You can say yes or no. And a couple of them were wrong. So I uh, ticked no. So hopefully that can make it learn a little bit more. So I would say that if you've got five minutes or even less than that, then go to voice.mozilla.org and, and help them out because it's something that we can all potentially benefit from. I completely agree. So back to multimedia on Linux desktop, Opus 1.2 saw a major release this week, which has many quality improvements, new features, and bug fixes. So when I first heard about this, I was thinking, well, MP3 has just been freed from patents, and we've got OG Vorbis, so do we really need improvements to this? But then thinking about it, it's not really, I don't think, aimed at necessarily listening to podcasts or music directly. It's more that people can embed this codec in their applications. Mm -hmm. And so users will see a benefit without even knowing about it, probably. Yes, absolutely. And I think they have made improvements, ironically, that make it better for music. 
but I think one of the most notable improvements in this release are going to be some of the speech quality improvements. They come from something they call a hybrid mode. Hybrid mode is when the silk codec is used to encode speech frequencies up to 8 kilohertz, and then CELT, a different codec, kicks in, which is used on frequencies from 8 kilohertz all the way up to 20 kilohertz. So this hybrid mode allows silk and CELT to be used for their more appropriate frequency ranges and combine it into one stream, which is going to sound fantastic. So do you think there's any chance of music and podcasts moving over to using Opus instead of MP3 and AAC? If I was going to put on the idealist hat for a moment, I would say yes. But in reality, if you look at statistics, M4A, which is based on AAC, is a notable improvement over MP3 and has like a 0.9% MP3 market share based on some stats I've, I've heard from major podcast players. Yeah, MP3 is the name you know. It's the the VHS, isn't it? It's not the best, but it's just what has won. Yeah, it's a it's a universal format that plays on everything from televisions to uh, workout wristbands. Yeah, you buy a cheap Chinese MP3 player for like, you can get them for $1 now, I think, for an MP3 player with like eight gigs of storage or something. Absolutely unbelievable. That's going to play MP3s all the way up to the highest end smartphone. It, it, it's just everywhere. I think this is going back to your core point, why Opus is really great for telecommunications or things like Mumble or WebRTC communication, where it's an infrastructure level codec that people are just going to notice things sound great. And maybe down the road, podcasters won't do double-ended recordings because the internet codec will be just so incredible thanks to Opus. But back at home, in the consumer world, things like MP3 and JPEG stick because there's a larger problem here. Not only is it just consumer awareness, but there's also the thing we don't talk about, this digital stuff is ephemeral, and it can just go away, and backwards compatibility of something that lasts more than 10 years is extremely valuable in our lives. And as a parent, I have JPEGs from like eight years ago, and I want to be able to open those JPEGs in 40 years from now. And I have audio recordings in MP3 that I want to play in 40 years. So there is some real value to some of these formats that stick, even if it's not their compression or their sound quality, but just having access to them matters. Yeah, for example... My dad did some writing uh, about 20 years ago on a, an old Mac using Claris Works, if you remember that. And I got the hard drive out. I had to get a SCSI adapter and stuff. And th this was about five years ago, maybe. So it, it had only been 15 years since he'd written those. And I was really struggling. In the end, I found a, an online, I can't even remember what it was now, service that uh, converted them to uh, .doc or something. But Oh, very good. So I did manage to do it, but maybe I'd struggle now to do it. I don't know. But And as you say, if that data is there in a format that is unreadable by modern machines. Yeah. And of course, eventually you're going to want to move from .doc to something like ODF. And going back to Opus for a moment, that's why these core open source formats really matter. And we'll see Opus, I believe, get implemented into more core technologies. And they have a really cool demo, which we'll have linked in the show notes. If you scroll down the page a bit, they have an example of MP3 compared to Opus 1.0 and then 1.1 and now the new 1.2 release and then versus uncompressed. The full range, you can really get a sense of how the project's matured and how it really compares to MP3 and how great it is. It's a really clever idea and it's a way to show off your work that only an audio codec could and that's linked in the show notes. Does that mean we're going to hear, this is an example of Opus, a compression codec used specifically for speech? <laughs> <laughs> 
Joe, I certainly hope so, and I hope it sounds just like that. And in the meantime, <laughs> you'll have to stay tuned to find out. Go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe to get the official RSS feed and all the various different ways you can consume it. linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe. Yeah, and linuxactionnews.com slash contact for all the ways to get in touch with us. We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at Joe Rissington. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you right back here next week. See you later. Bye.